Shut up and sit down. Hello strangers and welcome to Strangers in the Cinema. Firstly, Happy New Year to both Grace and Pete. How are we? Happy New Year. Wonderful. Happy New Year indeed. Yeah, I um, suggested rather foolishly that we do this show earlier in the morning than we're used to doing any of our shows. And now I think just before we started recording, a little peep behind the curtain... Uh, Paul, you had to let out like a really big yawn. I'm kind of trying to get my eyes to fully open. So it's like a, a challenge that we've set for ourselves to kind of wake up during the recording and hopefully it's going to come off okay. Yeah, and fingers crossed. I mean, I do make the point that is, you know, it's not that early. It's now 10 o'clock. No, no we, fair. Yeah. By the point that we start, it is actually 10 a.m. Yeah, is so a very... it's not really that early anymore. Uh, but, you know, on a day off, on a day off from work, I'm not normally fun- up and function. I'm normally up about this time and starting to function. So for us, on a day off, this is early. Grace, are you are you with us? Are you I'm ready? I'm I'm like now it's ten o'clock. Yeah, like before ten o'clock, I'm never ready. Never, I'm never on it. <laughs> a never ready battery. No, yeah, I'm just like running on low power mode until then. I'm suddenly charged up, but I get woken up every morning by the pigeons in my vault outside. I go whoo whoo, so I'm always tired. Anyway, you've got a vault. I've got a vault outside my bedroom, like a storage vault, and pigeons just okay. like nest there every winter. And every morning at half past eight, they're like whoo whoo whoo. So this is like midday then, really. Yeah, by now. bloody nightmare. So good, good. So now we've established some high energy. Uh, what have we got coming up, Pete? Oh yeah, it's funny you should say that, Paul, because now I'm about uh, nine tenths through my first cup of coffee of the day, I'm going to lurch from being sort of slow motion to hyperactive and thus continues the pattern of my life. Um, So yeah, (laughs) we've got lots coming up. We've got a three act show as we always have. Act one of today's show, we're going to look at the recent Golden Globes ceremony and specifically the winners and losers from that and what we make of those decisions, uh, I suppose. Then in the central part of the show, Act 2, we're going to look to uh, give a a full-blown feature review of the Yorgos Lanthimos movie, The Favourite, which actually dropped in the UK on January the 1st. So just was uh, out of contention for our end-of-year list last episode. Go back and check that one out if you haven't so far. Then in the third act of the show, we're going to do a big look ahead to 2019, the year of our Lord that we are now in, um, and our top five most anticipated films, and maybe a few that are of interest but didn't quite make those lists. Before all of that good stuff, though, we have a section that you might recognise because we always introduce it in the same kind of way. We like to call it, what have you been watching? Paul, Grace, what have you been watching recently i'm sure it's a lot because now we're getting back up to speed with kind of being you know obsessive movie fans for yet another year so yeah what have been the sort of highlights and lowlights of your recent watching oh i've watched a lot i went to the cinema to see uh holmes and watson which i didn't think was as bad as a zero percent rating um but it wasn't great either historically inaccurate like absolutely ridiculous, like putting the sailing of the Titanic during Queen Victoria's reign. Were you they knew though, didn't they? they so- <laughs> well, yeah, I, like it was. I think the pe- reason why a lot of people didn't like it is because it was obviously really anti-Trump, and so you know people are gonna dislike it. But it wasn't the best Will and John uh, team up. But it was really nice to see Lauren Lapkus in there, who's like a she's a indie comedian. Um, comedic actress she had a small bit part in the first um jurassic world i think but she was she was a highlight 
and there were some good moments in there but yeah it definitely wasn't it wasn't the worst but it certainly wasn't the greatest yeah I, I i've seen this as well it's actually the first yeah. film i saw this year um at about 10 30 in the morning on new year's day and i'm with you grace i think that one of the things that skews this these kinds of discussions is the ridiculous uh grading system that paul and i have ranted about on rotten tomatoes this film apparently holds an eight percent approval rating on rotten tomatoes but all that means is that eight percent of critics have given it a positive review to be fair in reviewing this movie I wouldn't necessarily give it an overly positive review it might not get above two and a half stars out of five but at the same time like you said Grace it's not the worst film in the world I'm it, yet it's... to see it I do, I do want to see it because I'm, I'm kind of with you guys because I, th- I I mean is it I don't think that with the chemistry John C. Riley and Will Ferrell have together mm. it could ever be that bad is, does that yeah, work? Or... Yeah Paul you're, you're right to say that I mean I think that there are moments in it where you kind of feel a little bit of a longing for slight well maybe more than slightly better writing because these guys are so good as a double act that sometimes I just felt it was a bit saggy and a bit lacking in sharpness but like you've got um, Rebecca Hall's in this as well mm. playing a, a role that's maybe usually dare I say a little bit below her but she in this plays a lady doctor and no one can believe that she is both a lady and a doctor and I think that there are funny lines there's stuff that made me laugh there's like ridiculous physical comedy that if like what do you want I mean, this is the thing. I see all these people saying, oh, the worst film ever, completely laugh-free. Well, what did you expect? It's it's a, a stupid like riff on the Sherlock Holmes um, lore with Will Ferrell and John C. Riley. I mean, it wasn't going to be like a, a moving, you know, profound piece of work or, or sort of Aaron Sorkin dialogue. I, I, d- I don't really understand the critical response to this. I think it's, it's fine. I think it fits quite comfortably into both of their filmographies and I like both of them enough so yeah it feels right yeah I agree I concur um what else did I watch I re-watched um well I watched T2 for the first time train spotting too and then watched train spotting right after because I think when I saw train spotting first time around I was maybe a bit young and it freaked me out and I didn't appreciate what such, what a good movie it was so I have like kind of weird um memories of that I think film. you need the context of age with Trainspot into yeah, extent completely. as well I don't, I don't think you'd get it as if you watched it quite young I think I watched it was like 12 13 yeah. and I was a bit like oh this is a bit weird yeah you know? I can imagine so <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, like um, T2 was an awesome, awesome movie. Um, and uh, I, I don't usually like a lot of Danny Boyle's films, but he does a lot of amazing stuff with those movies, a lot of amazing camera work. Um, and yeah, I completely forgot loads of the sad stuff was in it. So yeah, I It's quite that. a harrowing film in fairness. And yeah, there yeah. is a lot of sad stuff in it. I think a lot of people get carried away in like the toilet scene and some of the visuals yeah. and the baby and that kind of thing. But yeah, yeah it's actually quite a poignant film. Yeah, yeah, in places. completely. Um, yeah, no, Trainspotting's a great film. I didn't go that much on the sequel, I have to say. I think for me, it, oh. it kind of, it, le- it lent too heavily on nostalgia for the original. Yeah, sure. Um, but it, it was fine. It wasn't a terrible film. But yeah, I didn't, yeah. I didn't love the sequel. But I do love the first one. Yeah, I'm, I'm yet to see the sequel. And I think maybe because I felt like I don't know. I don't know how much I, like you're saying, I think I watched Train Spotting maybe a little bit too young to fully comprehend, comprehend what it was, what it was all about. And then um, have never felt like a great desire to go back into that world because it just kind of made me feel a bit scared and a bit dirty when I was like a, <laughs> yeah. a young, younger lad. So um, yeah, I probably should get to it. It's on Netflix now, I think, isn't it? Too yeah, too? It's, it has matured like a, a, a good cheese, I think, or a fine <laughs> wine, you know, it, yeah, it gets better with age. 
Um, and yeah, the final thing that I uh, saw, I finally watched Ghost Stories, which I was thoroughly disappointed by. Sorry. Boo. Sorry. Like, Get out. I, no, I really, I, I was like so up for it until the end. And I was just like, oh no, this isn't a horror film. I'm really a big fan of horror films where it was like, it was all in their head or it was all a dream. Or maybe it wasn't. No, no, but, no spoilers but, you, available. You know, or maybe it was. Oh, oh come on. I, yeah. It yeah, was, ignore Grace, everyone. Yeah, ignore uh, me. And go see Ghost <laughs> and watch Ghost Stories. It's now on Netflix. It's great. I watched <sighs> it again uh, for the second time, and I loved it just as much second time round. Yeah, have you I, seen this again yet? Because you I, like this. I, no, I haven't seen it again. I, I and I don't know how I'd react the second time. I just think that maybe I had sort of the inverse of that reaction that you described, Grace, where I, I sort of rather than coming into it like you did with with sort of people like us going like, oh, this is amazing sleeper hit of the year, amazing horror movie and having yeah. that expectation. I went to the cinema thinking this is going to be a disappointing attempt at a sort of uh, a, a, a anthology British comedy, uh, British horror movie, I should say. And then kind of just got swept up in it. And by the end was really kind of wowed by how ambitious it had been. But yeah, it wasn't maybe conventionally what you would describe as like the most satisfying ending to a horror movie no and and the fact that it was based on one of the um scariest um plays of all time i was just like oh it's gonna be like a woman in black thing like it's gonna be really come on this the paul whitehouse segment is terrifying with the with the little girl because it's got paul whitehouse in it yeah (laughs) there is that um but no i yeah i watched it again the other day and that that tariff that still scared me yeah but but then the ending takes the poignancy off of that the scares for me but you know i'm easy i'm not that easy to scare i guess i, maybe. I think it's also it, there's there's a big fork in the road when it comes to some of these things maybe where you know when there's a sort of gotcha or like big twist sort of ending if you see it coming when it hits you it's often like it, it induces a kind of groan or like roll in your eyes whereas in this one it wasn't like it blindsided me entirely but i really hadn't been searching around for like the ideas that coming together in that way so when that happened it kind of it just it just felt nice it was fun yeah, no, I, I agree i think people, we might have, we might have had this conversation at the time but even now you have this thing which which you introduced to me is, is what people say in the cinema when a film finishes and mm. i don't know where you stand on this grace and, and i hope you don't think it's this bad but someone did say to me who clearly didn't get it in the audience behind me like the the credits rolled shittest film ever <laughs> like, i had that go and see mother but yeah, you know yeah. it's like i was like i nearly i nearly turned around and went shittest person ever and oh, no, i didn't think it was it, a sh- no, i got it i didn't yeah. think it was shittest so um ever. yeah it's always amusing when people it always amuses me i think what is it you pete's got some great examples oh the, of what, the, the what one that always sticks out for me is yeah coming out of looper in bristol where there was a couple just in front of me and the one uh member of this couple turned to the other one and said so what was that about then and the other one said well, it's sci-fi. It's not supposed to make sense. And that was their, <laughs> their whole takeaway from like two hours in the cinema. Bless them. Um, anyway, enough of patronising other moviegoers. Uh, I, I also watched some movies. I'll say some stuff about a couple if you want. Uh, Paul, one that you've definitely seen. In fact, a number of these you've seen, so I can bang them out quickly. Uh, saw Mandy last night. Yep. Uh, didn't, didn't go for it. Thought I would, didn't. Uh, okay. Th- yeah, my takeaway, and I wrote this down in my little letterbox, which I'm trying to actually use for reviews this year. It's like a new thing I'm, I've just discovered, uh, is that the, the sort of feeling I had not really going for this movie made me also um, 
think a little bit about the how, the how perhaps now I'm not really someone who loves metal music anymore. And that kind of made me feel a little <laughs> bit sad inside. Right. Um, because I saw so many reviews saying like, this is the most, you know, heavy metal or metal, not so much heavy metal, or just metal uh, film that you're going to see in, you know, this year, last year, whatever. Uh, and, and I can't deny that, like from the actual use of like King Crimson in the opening to this kind of doom metal ambient reverberation throughout it to all these visuals and obsession with death and uh, the, the occult and stuff like that but just like the way I feel about a lot of metal now I just thought like oh just just stop like just stop yourself I don't know it just it didn't grab me and I think uh, in addition to that the other big thing that I've been seeing a lot of reviews is like oh Nick Cage with a chainsaw you know I'm not also sure that I think Nick Cage is as interesting a sort of cultural figure as everybody has now decided that he is like yeah sure well when he was like screaming about the bees in the Wicker Man shitty remake and stuff like that like I can appreciate that that's ironically a thing that you're gonna repeat and talk about but at this point it's like I I, I don't know he's he's not I mean I don't don't want to get into a debate about it but like I, I just yeah that's how I feel I just don't know that it's that that he's interesting. A, he's a stupid actor and he does very stupid things. So then for people to go, oh, Nick Cage is amazing in like a kind of ironic way. It's like, you're not being cool. I think we, need to, we need to go back stuff. to the community episode with the Nicolas Cage Bloody good or bad hell. film lecture, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I well, he just get you. You, just, just an awful lot of people talk an awful lot about him and I'm just not sure that it's sort of worth all that. But like, I've seen also somebody say uh, the sequence where he's guzzling vodka uh, in the, the movie and I won't, you know, give it away. It's about, a, it's a revenge plot. It's very simple. But uh, he's guzzling vodka and, and sort of bleeding all over the place should be shown in acting classes and I'm like it, it's not really though I don't, it's a bit, I don't yeah know. <laughs> it's a bit I mean I, I like the I enjoyed the film I have to say I it didn't grab me in the way that it's grabbed other people of last year like it did appear it appeared on quite a few best of the year lists I think and it didn't mm. grab me in that way I enjoyed it as a piece of sort of fun rampant over-the-top escapism um, and I would say Nicolas Cage for me is a fun performer uh, when he sort of dials it up to eleven, whether that's a good actor or not is a whole different but ball game. But, but I that enjoy is him. Essentially, yeah. every movie because people yeah, are like, "Oh, this yeah. is this is Nick Cage up to 11. It's like, well, Nick Cage doesn't have a dial that goes no. between sort of one. But and I enjoy nine. Nick Cage. I, I enjoy Nick Cage at eleven. I'm not saying that makes him a great actor by any stretch, but I enjoy him dialed no, up like that. Like, I like yeah, yeah, yeah. Drive Angry is another film that I really like, and I, I yeah. enjoy him in it. So I, I enjoy I mean, Keanu Reeves, but he's not a great actor. No. Yeah, he's, he's a better actor than Nick Cage, though. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I would say I don't want to be like a, a big Debbie Downer about Mandy entirely because the two things that I take away that are really positive, like visually, some of the shots in this movie are beautiful. And to be fair, do enough of the right drugs and this is going to probably change your life. <laughs> but like, yeah, watching it with a cup of tea in the evening, maybe not the same. It's quite um, intense in the cinema, I have to say. It was. And, and, and in addition to that, uh, Jonas... Uh, Sorry, Jonas. Johan Johansson's score for this movie is fucking great. Like, as I was watching it, I just thought, I want to listen to the score without the images in front of me and without all the sort of... The, what felt like fairly thudding, like, obviousness. But anyway, Mandy is a lot better than another film that I saw yesterday. The new one from Jason Reitman. Uh, are you aware of The Front Runner? Oh, I've guys? heard of this, yes. No. Oh, oh, Lord. 
J- Jason Reitman. <laughs> Jason Reitman is this guy where you look through his his filmography and you think like, oh no, he's he's involved in good things. Last year, Tully, right? Yeah. Uh, young adult, Juno. Yeah. What links all of those movies is screenwriting from Diablo Cody, who right. no matter what anybody else wants to say, I think is is, is really talented and, and interesting. Jason Reitman is, in my opinion, not particularly talented and certainly not interesting. The front runner has more in common with the movie he made about four years ago, five years ago, called Men, Women and Children, where uh, Jason Reitman basically latches onto a topic about five years after everybody's discussed it and realised that they have particular views and takeaways from that topic. And then he makes a sort of film that deals with that topic as slowly as a sort of... um, I don't know, a glacial shift or something like that. In this one, you've got Hugh Jackman with a weird fringe playing a guy who was ahead in the 1988 uh, presidential primacy, prim- primary uh, election campaign. Yeah. And uh, in, the, in the opening titles, it says he was, uh, you know, clearly ahead. He was the front runner. Uh, you know, guaranteed to win the presidency in 88. And then all the other words disappear and it just says the front runner. To sum up what's wrong with this movie, the front runner has no subtextual connotation whatsoever. It literally just means he was the front runner. That's it. Like there's there's nothing else. You can't read anything into the title. You can't read anything into the movie. The movie then goes on to do this thing where it's it's sort of not very subtly commenting on the Stormy Daniels, um, Donald Trump situation that's that's sort of played out in the last couple of years, but with absolutely no ability to really take a position, say anything insightful, or to like elucidate a point of view that doesn't feel like a sort of carbon monoxide poison geriatric person ranting at you about something that they don't comprehend. It, it's going to be, Paul, and I'm going to throw down a marker right now. This is the worst film that I will see in 2019. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> this early. Um, yeah, I picked a spot on the side of my head in the cinema and it started bleeding and it just gave me that that warming feeling that I was still alive. Is this alive. out now then? Was this like a preview screening? Or? It, it was a preview screening. Ah, it will okay. be out for your pleasure, your viewing pleasure very soon. And oh, Lord. Like, I don't know if anyone is going to hate this as much as me. And if they do, I really feel badly for them I I just make it stop don't let Jason Reitman be involved in screenplays for his own movies because oh, this was so dreadful I, I uh, talk about something good what have you seen that was good Paul uh, I finally caught up with Upgrade, um, which is Lee Wanell, who I think had some part in Saw, possibly co-wrote Saw with James Yeah, Warren, I think. he did. Well, he was in it as well, wasn't he? Um, yeah, he... Oh, of course he was, yeah, because he was one of the guys. Go- yeah, he was the guy on the floor in Saw, wasn't he? The, with the with Carrie Elwes, yes. yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Upgrade, I've, re- I've read good things about um, and heard quite good things about, and for some reason this didn't get a wide UK release, which really, really annoyed me at the time, because I just couldn't even see it anywhere, which is always frustrating. Oh my God. And I know you've seen this, Pete, and I, I don't know what what your thoughts are. I absolutely loved this. I, I sat down with it and within about five minutes, I was like, I am hooked. It's just the most fun I've had with a high concept piece of sort of sci-fi action nonsense for quite some time. I just thought it was great. It's The action scenes are kinetic. Like The, the look of the film is great. The kind of near future cyberpunk feel just, just had me from, from the get-go, really. And it's just just a whole heap of fun it's gory it's over the top the fight scenes are great it's just it's just bonkers absolutely bonkers and i as, as a 
Yeah, certainly there there are there are better films out there without a shadow of a doubt. But in terms of the fun I had with this, I dialed it, it dialed all the way up to eleven for me, shall we say? It, up, it upgraded my evening, you could say. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, this you could you could probably pick flaws in it without a shadow of a doubt. But for me, it just grabbed me, uh, and also it was the uh, the best Tom Hardy symbiote movie of twenty eighteen. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's that's the truth. I mean, the, the the later part of the movie, I just thought like, yeah, this is kind of exactly exactly like Venom yeah. but I'm enjoying myself yeah, yeah, <laughs> more yeah. so than I was in those sections of that movie anyway um yeah yeah guy gets chip put in body has better skills than before a chip bit like limitless good, yeah. but with more like face punching yeah. um yeah no I, I I like this movie I think it, it, it maybe it sort of faded out rather than went out with a bang for me but like Leigh seems like he's finding his feet as a director so yeah I I, I enjoyed it quite a bit and, and definitely um more than the fucking jason reitman movie yeah um, it's logan marshall green by the way we are aware on the show that that is not tom hardy but everyone should be aware that he looks exactly <laughs> like tom hardy hence hence that so um yeah upgrade was great i absolutely loved it so highly recommend that um what else did i watch recently oh i picked up on what i think and correct me if i'm wrong this is, is the first jeremy saunier film uh which is now on netflix which is murder party um, this is a very, very bizarre black comedy um, about a group of sort of ne'er-do-wells who organise a party and invite this sort of geeky loner, picks up this invite to what is a murder party. He gets very excited that he's been invited to a party. He arrives uh, and this group of this group of sort of weirdos with Macon Blair there, unsurprisingly enough, uh, ties him up and decides for an art installation they're going to murder him. Um, yeah, it's Jeremy Saunier, so it's black. It's very, very blackly comic. Um, it's very, very violent in places. It's bizarre. It doesn't all work. Some of the gags don't lad, land. Sorry, lad. Um, some of the gags don't lad, land. I've done it again. Land. Um, but it's still Jeremy Saunier. It's still a whole heap of fun. Um, and the ending is just absolutely bonkers. And you've got Macon Blair running around in this like melted werewolf mask at one point. So it's well worth it just just for that, really. Have you? Has anyone seen this murder party? I'm not sure it's been on Netflix for long. But yeah, anyone. So Jeremy Saunier uh, directed Blue Ruin. So it's interesting that he's gone from this, I think, to Blue Ruin. It's very much a change in direction. But yeah, this is well worth checking out. I love Blue Ruin, so I will yeah. check that out. Yeah, murder party's fun. my notes. Um, can I squeeze in one more? Is that all right with everyone? Yeah, keep going. Yeah. Uh, the Domestics. Um, this is, I'm not sure when this officially came out. I think, I think it skipped cinemas last year because it seems to just appear on Netflix. Um, so this is a post-apocalyptic kind of, I'd say would near future Mad Max be a better, a kind of good way to describe this. I think, uh, yeah. directed by Mike P. Nelson starring, uh, Kate Bosworth, Tyler Hoekin, uh, my favorite, one of my favorite men in the whole world, Lance Reddick. Um, yeah, it's post-apocalyptic kind of, you've got. Uh, something's happened or a virus has been unleashed by someone, by a mysterious... Well, some bombers fly over and unleash a virus at the very beginning. Um, humanity's descended into gangs. There's a number of gangs, but there's also what people are called the domestic. So that would be, I would hope, people like ourselves, good people left after the apocalypse who are just trying to make a family for themselves. In the midst of this, um, Kate Bosworth and Tyler Hoechlin's characters... Um, are having some struggles with their marriage and decide to move closer to the family. Um, but that journey to the family takes them across uh, the wastelands of post-apocalyptic America and they meet some quite bizarre and quite often psychotic characters along the way. Um, yeah, another one a bit like Upgrade that sort of took me by surprise and I really, really, really enjoyed it. Just shameless, over-the-top, 
gory fun again. Pete, anything to add? Because I know you've seen Oh, it's it. just right. fucking cool. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I really went for it. I, I really went for it. And I see a lot of um, sort of sniffy, like negative stuff. And I get it. I totally do. Like, it's not... Uh, fully formed thing perhaps it didn't have the budget that that maybe something else of this ilk might have but the the, the filmmakers here knew exactly what they were making they're making this this film from people who love stuff like Mad Max love kind of um, creative ultra violence love the idea that there can be gangs in your movie that are things like the little stabby people yeah. or whatever <laughs> they're like little children who just stab you in the knees like, I love the idea that the, the place is divided up into such specific types of gangs and, and like some of those gangs hold bit is kind of played for laughs in this like the way that they wear uh, full-blown animal heads or like yeah. uh, visors made out of metal that they can't really see through and then like the thing that I that I noted as well when I wrote a little thing about this is that uh, Kate Bosworth in this movie is fucking so boring for about half an hour the character not you know so much the performance but the character brings nothing to the table and then they throw in a sequence where it cross cuts her playing uh, the vinyl of a goat snake album and rocking out in a little space whilst her husband is facing down against a guy that I think is called Bill the Big in a kind of fight to the death in front of uh, this guy, uh, Dalf Malkian or whatever that actor's called with a tiny mouth who I was seeing things and like and then forget his name instantly. Uh, And he's like wielding a a switchblade and like reciting lines from like Eyes Without a Face and stuff like that. Oh, that just, oh, I don't know. It's one of those movies that like on the surface is kind of shit but I, I adored it like I'd watch anything that the filmmaker makes next off the I know I, I, I'm totally with you to be honest and I, I just it, it really really took me by surprise and I kind of sat there with it it was about 20 minutes in I was just like oh shit I'm really really enjoying this and Lance Reddick's turn there's the line he says to the just Lance Reddick in this he clearly he's a, he's another one of those actors for me that clearly I think Almost brings a hundred percent to everything that he does, and uh, he is on he is on blistering form here. You need to you need to check this out, Grace. I think you'd, take I think you'd quite enjoy notes. this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a lot of fun, a lot <clears> of fun. Um, can, uh, can I can I just whip out a couple in sort of single sentence of form? Uh, the Institute is on Netflix. Avoid like the plague. Uh, it's another James Franco project, and it's it's worse than kind of uh, I don't know piercing your own eyeballs. Um, it it looks like a kind of a drama class. Uh, sort of freeform session that's been made into a movie where they've gone like let's play with the idea of being in an asylum dreadful beyond belief uh then in addition uh, funny haha is on movie at the moment they're doing a season of first films from oh, prominent directors Catherine this- first one up as well haven't they it, yeah, there is. Yeah, and, and this one's funny, haha, from um, Andrew Bajalski, who's uh, recently made the movie Support the Girls. Um, and yeah, it's it's kind of a very, very awkward, very uh, verite sort of low-fi, low-budget, uh, what people now call mumblecore filmmaking in four-three ratio. But like the girl at the centre of it, who's um, trying to find her way in the world, a bit like uh, Greta Gerwig in Francis Ha or something like that, is I, I think really endearing, and it's uh, it's well written, and I like it, and I like Andrew Bajalski a lot anyway. So I was kind of predisposed to that. I also caught um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse that you guys were all um, all for, I think, last year. Uh, Yeah, really good. Really liked it. I think that... um uh, it kind of had me, Paul, because, you know, once you're a couple of minutes in, you realise, oh, it's like, it's a hip-hop superhero yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah, That's what sure. I needed. That's what I needed. Instead of a lot of the sort of self-serious stuff or the fan service stuff being enough, I needed it to be a hip-hop movie 
and it was. I found the character at the center compelling. Um, the, I, the plot swept me along. I did. I'm not massively invested in what happens to this character, I suppose. But visually, it's it's an amazing achievement, and I just I had a lot of love for it. And there are like so many things on the soundtrack as well that that compelled me to not only see the movie, but then come out of it, go to Spotify and download the soundtrack. So that doesn't happen when I go to other superhero movies. And um, the last one is I saw In the Fade, the Fatih Akin movie with, mm. um, oh, I've lost her name now. Uh, yes, keep talking. Uh, this is a revenge movie about a terrorist attack with um, Diane Kruger. That's, that's it. Uh, Diane Kruger's family is killed in a, a terrorist attack that seems to be racially motivated. Uh, she then goes on a sort of crusade to try to find justice for her family and this received like a lot of credit I think at the end of last year and it was on some end of year lists and I think that at the beginning of the movie at the outset it's incredibly tense it's it's quite moving it's hard hitting I mean it's about you know uh, manufacturing of, of of homemade explosives and stuff like that and the results that they have on on activation but I think that what lets the film down is a quite sloppy like loosely sketched final act and then finishing the film with um the the music of Licky Lee in 2019 when you're dealing with this topic feels like something that is a bit um not lazy in so much as inappropriate for the subject matter that you're dealing with um which is the the you know neo-nazi um attacks in Germany on uh, minorities so yeah it, it kind of left a bit of a bad taste in my mouth even though I think Diane Kruger's performance is very strong and and it's sort of hard-hitting material um I'm done uh, Grace have you seen any other films that we need to squeeze in Ah, uh, not really. I've got one more, if that's all right. Um, yeah. I watched Life of the Party. Um, this Melissa McCarthy comedy. Oh, why? In inverted commas. <laughs> um, yeah, wow. I haven't laughed so little in a comedy film for quite some time. Um, I know we, we were talking about the term laugh-free experience earlier. But for me, Life of the Party was a completely laugh-free experience. And really, we're making jokes about comas now. This is the kind of tone that we're looking at. It's just... Not good. Steer well clear. I think it would have been it would have been on my bottom five of the year, I think, had I watched it sooner. But yeah, still well clear. Melissa McCarthy, you are capable of much, much, much better than this. So please start putting out something worthwhile because this is not it. Um, well, yeah, that's anything else from you, Pete? No, just to say, talking of putting out things that are worthwhile, uh, we decided to put out a rather worthy section related to the Golden Globes. Uh, we're going to detail our thoughts about that and we're going to do that right after this. So yeah, the Golden Globes uh, are an awards ceremony that happens every year. That's it. That's the section. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so the Golden Globes were, when were they? What are we recording now? Were we on Tuesday? We're on Tuesday yeah. morning now. The Golden Globes were Sunday night, I do believe. So mm. two nights ago. Um, they are a group. It's the foreign, what is it? The foreign media correspondents of Hollywood, I think. Mm. Um, and I think that is foreign language speaking film critics. Is my understanding of who decides the Golden Globes. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Um, and yeah, so what are we, are we going to go, how are we going to work this, Pete? What, what are your thoughts? This well, sort of... let's, let's go in first with, with the sort of elephant in the room or, or, or something along those lines, which is the fact that, you know, everybody wants to talk about what they're pissed off about or disappointed about with the Golden Globes. And then we'll, we'll sashay out of the section talking a bit more positively about things that got the credit that maybe you think that they deserve. So you guys, any strong takes, any hot takes about what made you sort of incandescent with rage at the Golden Globes or just left you feeling a little bit disappointed? Do you know what? Like, I was like, 
I saw the winners and stuff and I just kind of like didn't really care this year I know that's like an awful thing to say but like the the actual like nominations and things are either like, things I haven't seen or that I disliked so much anyway that I didn't really care who won it was amazing that Olivia Coleman won best actress which was great but then other than that I'm maybe I was a bit pissed off at Bohemian Rhapsody won best drama um because that's such a naff film in my opinion please don't find my house and say queen fans go it was great it was great okay but the the rest of the internet (laughs) um i um but yeah and yeah i don't know i just wasn't very excited about it this year i usually really am but uh and i i got really confused um reading lots of write-ups because it kept going oh and sandberg and i was reading it like oh and another thing that andy sandberg did and i forgot it was sandra oh as the presenter so i was just like (laughs) reading I'm really tired like Owen oh, Sandberg I was like why do they keep why do they keep like referring to all his bit like oh yeah okay yeah they were both presented whoops uh, yeah I think for me just yeah Bohemian Rhapsody uh, like look at the end of the day if you want to enjoy Bohemian Rhapsody that's that's fine no one can take that away from you that, that's absolutely fine but if you're going to sit there and tell me that Bohemian Rhapsody is better what were the other films nominated for, for best picture at the Golden Globe Black Clansman so Black Clansman um, wasn't it yeah, if you're going to yeah. tell me that Black Klansman, uh, sorry, that Bohemian Rhapsody is better than Black Klansman, it's better um, than the favourite. Yeah, I, I've got the than... full list, just, just for yeah, purposes on, of sorry. actually covering this yeah. event, oh, I should list <laughs> yeah. the, the film. Yeah. So, yeah, Thanks, for, Someone cares. for best motion, best motion picture, we had Bohemian Rhapsody, that, as you guys said, was, was the winner. We also had Black Panther, Black Klansman, If Feel Street Could Talk and A Star Is Born. And like, just reading that list, I kind of feel worse about it than I yeah, did yeah, before. Yeah, this is right. the problem, when you read that list, I mean, I haven't seen If Feel Street Could Talk yet, it hasn't dropped in the UK yet, no. but... I would imagine a film from the director of Moonlight is probably quite good uh, and probably better than Bohemian Rhapsody. Black Panther is better than Bohemian Rhapsody and that's probably the one film I would say that probably might, may, may not deserve to be on that yeah, list. Yeah, so yeah. all of those films, and I didn't even go that much on A Star Is Born, when every single film is better than the film that won it, just objectively better than the film that won it. Yeah. What are you can't? What are they doing? Like, are they? For me, it feels like I think I put on Facebook on the morning. Like, congratulations to the Golden Globes for completely pandering to box office takings. Yeah. And not to artistic merit. Yeah, but but like, then Paul, is that is that accurate? Because surely Black Panther took more at the box office than Bohemian Rhapsody. Well, maybe. Yeah. No, that's fair. Then. I guess because it's international, so Bohemian Rhapsody probably yeah, uh, right. yeah, had a bigger right. hit. In, um, Black Europe. Panther was the la- was the highest grossing film at the US box office last year. It took more than it, it took more than Infinity right. War. You. US based, which is Matt, which is crazy. Did it? Yeah, oh. yeah. I was doing and yeah, some research f- for the quiz. Full disclosure, <laughs> like full disclosure, I haven't seen Bohemian Rhapsody, so I can't bag on it here and say that it didn't deserve to win. But like the great, you know, the the real impression that I get from people that I respect and listen to is that it isn't a movie that is going to trump You've something. You've seen like- Walk Hard, though, haven't you? <laughs> yes, I have. So you've yes. seen Bohemian Rhapsody, like, yeah. genuinely. <laughs> yeah, and and perhaps less funny, but like also the the thing around Bohemian Rhapsody, of course, has been the the connection to Brian Singer and and the the way in which he yeah. was uh, dumped off the project after allegations about his indiscretions came to light. And I, I mean, I don't know how much or how little I believe that should impact on awards credibility. Um, uh, maybe it's a discussion for another time, but certainly, again, it, it is the sort of thing that feels like um, it could have been easily. Avoided, sidestepped this supposed uh, controversy or difficulty or problem related to the original director needn't have been a problem if maybe the judging had paid more attention to you know films of of 
well, yeah, more just, quality. Just better film. That's the thing. Yeah. If, if it had been, if it, if it, if it genuinely been like one of the, if it had been like okay, Roma maybe. or Cold War or something of that quality, that was that, that the quality of that film could be whatever you think yeah, of it. Yeah. Like you could look at it objectively, say that film is like so yeah. well made. Then yeah, maybe there's yeah. Then you have to look at it and go, okay, yeah. it's going to be difficult here. Brian Singer made this, and there's all these issues around Brian Singer. So maybe we have to address this somehow. But this is still definitely the best one of the best films of the year. Mm. So we have to nominate this. I think but Rami. It absolutely isn't that film. No, but I think Rami Malek deserve. I don't know if he deserved, but I'm, I'm I'm like I don't mind that he won Best Actor because he obviously him as a per, as an actor put a lot of effort into that role with what he had I guess and it's kind of not the actor's fault that the script was just so I have less of an appalling. issue with him when in best actor yeah he was so happy picture, you know sure. in yeah, that so, respect so just to be across that one Rami Malek won best actor ahead yeah. of Bradley Cooper for Star is Born Willem Dafoe uh, for At Eternity's Gate which I haven't seen yeah. uh, Lucas Hedges for Boy Erased which I haven't seen and yeah. John David Washington for Black Klansman which yeah. um, was a really strong performance but yeah, yeah Having, you know, I like Rami Malek already. I always think about Until Dawn when I see his face. But um, yeah, I, I like him and I imagine yeah. that the performance is really committed. And when I saw him do the press junket stuff for the movie, he seemed just like a really charismatic, likeable guy. So yeah, and he can't, can't stop that. being Freddie Mercury, can he? He's still got this constant like back tooth speech thing. When I saw yeah. his acceptance, he's just like, I'm still Freddie Mercury. I'm never going to let this stop. It's like when, um, yeah, it, it, he's just got, he obviously got so into the character that it's not going to, leave him for a long time maybe freddie mercury's in there with him the spirit of freddie's just like i'm accepting this award too cheers mate so what <laughs> what do we think on on green book winning best musical or comedy i've never understood this separation of things you've seen green book pete haven't you is this i have that? yeah it's it's a it's a, just a weird category to begin with but then when you see the nominations in best yeah. uh motion picture musical or comedy you see green book which to me is ostensibly not a comedy like there, there are a number of laughs in it it's from one of the farrelly brothers but this is uh, Mahasha Ali also took an away, uh, away an award for supporting actor I think from the Golden Globes and deserved it but like the best stuff here is more so sort of poignant and also quite transparently award baiting poignancy um, if that's a, a new subcategory but then the things alongside it or the things nominated with it were Vice which um, I'll see next week and haven't seen yet so can't comment Crazy Rich Asians which is good, a good time The Favourite which is um, again I mean it's a funnier movie than Green Book and also I at the same time probably wouldn't put it in this category and would just put it in the best picture category and uh, Mary Poppins Returns what a weird collection mm. of movies yeah, yeah. Who yeah. would you team up from those movies? Yeah. <laughs> Mary or who Poppins. would you drop into another one of yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. movies? Mary, Mary Poppins, Poppins visits Queen Mary Anne. Mary Poppins drops into the favourite. I'd, I'd be yeah. in for that, for sure. For sure. Um, and then we've got Glenn Close winning Best Actress. I haven't seen The Wife. I'm happy for Glenn Close to win anything, Good so I don't her. really have too much of a... Too much. Is yeah. There anything, is there anything the, on, the only thing to say for for me there is um, again feel a bit in the dark about these to be fair, but uh, because we haven't got releases in the UK for a lot of them yet. But Melissa McCarthy, uh, having <laughs> told us about how bad she is in uh, Life the Party, apparently in Can You Ever Forgive Me, she is uh, playing a, a lot straighter of a role yeah. a more dramatic role and it's like a career best performance from you know all accounts so uh, who knows we'll have to wait and see what we think as these things play out through the you know the next few months uh best director alfonso Cuarón deserved any thoughts yeah, no, i can't i can't argue with that really um why why would you i mean it's an incredible achievement and as we said uh a number of times on the show it's available for everybody to watch on netflix so what you're waiting for do that 
Um, Greg, have you watched Roman yet? Oh, I will when I want to feel sad. I want to feel <laughs> yeah, fair, fair, fair point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, best picture animated, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Good shout. Yeah, yeah. I... Did it win over Isle of Dogs? Did it? It did win over Isle of Dogs. Yeah, it won over Isle of Dogs. Incredibles two. Uh, Mirai. Haven't seen this. And I've seen Mirai. I didn't, yeah, it left me a little bit cold. I mean, it's beautifully animated, but left me a little bit cold, if I'm honest. And Ralph Breaks the Internet. I did not like Wreck-It Ralph, so I will not see that film unless I absolutely <laughs> have to. Uh, but yeah, it seems like the Spider-Man shout is, is a good one, as you say. Um, Olivia Coleman won Best Actress, which, again, is, is hard to argue with, right? Yeah, she, I mean, the woman is a national treasure um, and seems to be one of the most loveliest people that I've ever seen in an interview situation, full stop, ever. So, um, yeah, and she's great. And I love the fact that she started on Peep Show um, and potentially is looking at Best Actress at the Oscars nominations. Mm. And, mm. and I would say has a good chance of winning it based on the performance in The Favourite, but we'll get more to that in the next section. Yeah, and just seems as... It's funny, because as a performer of, like, such great um, repute at this point, she, in her interviews, when you see her um, sitting down to talk about her films, she seems so unperformative. Like, everything about her seems sort of natural and a little bit vulnerable and a little bit raw, and it's really endearing. Um, In that category, you also had Charlize Theron for Tully, and I think it's one of those movies that may uh, sort of you know, go below the radar for a lot of people and, and you should catch up with it if you haven't seen it because it's Jason Reitman with great. Diablo Cody, which is like the decent Jason Reitman. Um, Constance Wu for Crazy Rich Asians, which again, uh, check that out. It's a lovely performance and um, doesn't deserve to maybe best Olivia Coleman, but it's something that people should see. And then the Mary Poppins movie, I probably won't see. And uh, Eighth Grade, we haven't got a release here yet for, uh, that's Elsie Fisher, but I, yeah, have nothing to say. Anything else, you guys? Um, nothing else that stands out really. Grace, anything no, to add? I'm I mean... sorry, Golden Globes. You didn't wow me this year as much <laughs> as you should have done. Well, there we go. I think I'll stop the Golden Globes now. That'll be it. That'll be the final year of the Golden Globes. Yeah, they are over. I said so. Grace has said you didn't wow me this year. <laughs> done with it. Do we think? Do we think that this is? I mean, it's not too far away from the Oscars. Do you think this means that Bohemian Rhapsody might be a runner at the Oscars or not? Yeah, it'll be. I mean, yeah, it'll be in the long yeah. list. One hundred percent, it'll be in the long list because the long list is like ten yeah. movies now, isn't it? So yeah, it'll be in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I hope it doesn't win. I hope it doesn't pick up an Oscar. No, because imagine really, the really... smug faces of Brian and Roger being like, yes. "Yeah, we did it, guys. We told you it was good. Oh, yeah, we're really. <laughs> we were just as important. Shut up." Wow, Grace, it, it, yeah, Grace doesn't like... New year, new grumps. Yeah. <laughs> it is, Paul, you know you said the thing about like she started on uh, Peep Show and now she could win Best Act, yeah. ask, uh, Actor at the Oscars. Um, I also then cast my mind over to one Dexter Fletcher because he picked up the reins, right, from Brian Singer for Bohemian Rhapsody. He did, yes. But then he yeah. started out on fucking Games Master. So like to, to see Dexter Fletcher go from Games Master to the Oscars is quite a rise, I think. Well, yeah, now he's directing um, Rocket Man, isn't he? The Elton John film. As right. well. So, yeah, yeah he's really Dexter, Dexter Fletcher is a talented guy, and no disrespect to him, but he's one of those people who really knows where he's onto like a winner. Like he backs the winner every time. It's like, oh, I'll make a movie. Who shall I make it about? Oh, one of the most famous singers who's ever lived. Oh, I wonder if we'll we'll have a yeah. box office for that. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, I think that pretty much brings us to the end of the Golden Globes chat. Then, unless anyone's got any final bits to add, no, I think, um, I think we're we'll, good. No, in which case we'll be back after this with our feature review of the new Yorgos Lanthimos film, The Favorite. So here we are. 
Act two, a review. This one, as Paul mentioned, the new one from Yorgos Lanthimos, the guy who has bought us films like Dogtooth and Alps and Killing of a Sacred Deer. Um, and now we're cast into the early 18th century in England, where you have a character played by Olivia Coleman, aforementioned on the last section of the show. Uh, she is Queen Anne, occupying a throne as her health ails and the folk of the time attempt to keep her alive and functional enough to make fairly decisive decisions, uh, critical decisions about the future actions of the country and its military. But to either side of her there are two warring factions. One of them is in the form of uh, Emma Stone, uh, a girl who comes onto the scene uh, having fallen from grace in society from a position of um, uh, sort of higher standing to a lower standing and attempts to get her ear and have influence over her but meets the uh, immovable force that is uh, the character Lady Sarah played by Rachel Weisz who already has the Queen's ear and doesn't intend to let go. Um, just to say, for anybody who's unaware of this film director, and I feel like some of the cinema audiences at this point may be falling into this category, uh, a bit baffled by this movie, Yorgos Lanthimos is a guy who makes worlds that feel almost hermetically sealed. The world makes sense to itself, but doesn't always adhere to the rules of, you know, your understanding of wider society or even historical context at the time. Um before we get into our detailed discussions of the movie, here's a little clip. I am a person of honour, even if my station is not. Even if I were the last one left in this wretched place, I would remain a lady. <laughs> You're pretty when outraged. So my secrets are safe with you? All of them. Good. Even your biggest secret. Abigail. <laughs> If you forget to load the pellet, the gun fires, makes a sound, but releases no shot. It is a great jape, do you agree? Yes. Maybe we will think of a use for it one day. Sometimes it is hard to remember whether you have loaded the pellet or not. I do fear confusion and accidents. So yeah, as I think I would completely agree on what you said with the, the hermetically sealed worlds that make sense within them and, and not outside of them. So I would say, just before we sort of go any further with this, if anyone goes into this expecting some kind of historical accuracy or sort of really well-intentioned historical... Well, well-intentioned isn't the right word. Or sort of historical drama based around the facts and what these characters were actually like. Uh, probably look elsewhere, Pete, I think would be a, a fair description. Yeah, I mean, having said that, I think the broad strokes of the historical context are accurate. But yeah, you're right. Like, it, this is sort of in... You're very much in Yorgos Lanthimos world when you step, step foot inside the, the corridors of power here um and yeah i mean i suppose a good in to this discussion is like where do we sit on what we've seen so far from yorgos lanthimos and like what expectation did you bring to this movie um grace have you seen his other films some of his other films and did you expect much from the favorite apart from all the sort of buzzy stuff that you'd heard at the end of last year yes do you know what i um did an internship at Cannes Film Festival in 2015 and I was lucky enough to go to the bloody premiere of The Lobster and go to the after party and just see Rachel Weisz and John C. Riley having a chat on a beach and I was too scared to go, hey, 
guys, I love you, loved your movie. So I bloody love this director, I bloody love the lobster. And um, when I worked in cinema, I loved the fact about the lobster is that the whole cast um, went on this press junket and making out like the lobster was this amazing, like frolicking comedy. And then seeing customers come out going like, I don't want to watch anymore. What the hell's <laughs> going on? And when I was watching The Favourite at the cinema, there was a similar thing. Like I didn't know it had an LGBT theme at all. I thought it was just going to be like a kind of, uh, I, I knew there'd be something sinister underlying, but I didn't know the full extent of the um, the, the warring women and, and, and actually the battles for affection in that respect. And then seeing like loads of people leaving the cinema afterwards with their faces a bit grey, sort of like going, I wasn't expecting such full-on language and, and sexy times and, and grottiness. I was just like, yeah. yes, he's done it again. I love you, Jorgis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not not everyone knew that they were getting in there for the for the amounts of fingering and stuff like that. Oh my gosh! Um, yeah, and I loved how actually because I, I was reading up about the historical accuracies, and it wasn't actually like obviously it was embellishment, but the Queen Anne was like such an interesting character, and a lot of that stuff did actually happen. Like the fact that that woman lost seventeen children is just horrible, you know. That's a, and and for a woman to actually even be like standing and ruling a country in even any capacity after having so much grief is like. I think Olivia Coleman really portrayed that in such a beautiful way. Um, the Duke of Marlborough lives, and I saw Blood and Palace from my bedroom window. So whenever they drop like a Blood and Palace bomb, I'm like, yeah, big up Woodstock, <laughs> <laughs> Lady Marlborough, yo. <laughs> Grace, a very different kind of Yorgos Lanthimos viewer who's like whooping in the, in the audience. Eating the chocolate. Paul, Paul, you may or may not have seen uh, John C. Riley and Rachel Vice having a conversation on a beat, but I think that you came into this already I as actually like saw a them in a bar in Basingstoke once. Acolyte, right? <laughs> Did you? Amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's so um, something they do. Yeah. No, I didn't. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm, I've been a, a signed up member of the August Lanthimos fan club all the way since Dogtooth in all honesty I remember picking up randomly picking up Dogtooth on Blu-ray and I was like oh that's got an interesting cover I'll check that out and yeah I was just like wow that was a black comedy wasn't it like and uh yeah and I've been a, a, an acolyte of, of Lanthimos ever since in all honesty I think I, I love what he does I love how dark his comedy goes and I love how I love how he embraces the uh I think I described it in a review, so I watched this a while ago, as Lanthimos' Theatre of the Absurd, um, and he's just great at it. It just, it just great at crossing these bizarre worlds that just are utterly mm. compelling and hook you in. Mm. No matter, and it almost like you're still you're sitting there going, I know I shouldn't be laughing at this. I was like, does it need to be this dark? Does all this material need to be this dark? And you're just like, absolutely, yes, yes, it does. Um, and it's all the better for it. So no, Lanthimos is definitely one of my favourite directors. Um, so going into the favourite, my anticipation was very high I have to say mm. and it seems like from listening to interviews with members of his not only this cast but previous cast as well that almost every performer that works with Yorgos Lanthimos is, is sort of just ra like rapturously singing his praises when they come out of shooting the movie so he's obviously doing more than one thing right you know on the mm. set as well as in terms of the the final product but yeah I mean for me with you guys totally uh, I think that there have been I don't think I'm as hot on The Lobster as as some people are. And I think that my favourite movies of his that, that I've seen to this point are uh, Dogtooth, just because Dogtooth is dealing with the idea of, of language and language acquisition, which is kind of what I do in my work. And then um, I loved, I thought I was sort of, my enthusiasm for his movies was waning. And then I saw The Killing of a Sacred Deer, which I just thought was tremendously good. So um, yeah, really, really excited coming into this one and managed to see it like in a screening 
thing where the uh, servers brought round little saucers with uh, little cups of coffee to our table. And it felt so fitting for this movie that we were being served little uh, bits of china in the uh, in the screen. I mean, Paul, just before you rage out, <laughs> this was before the film proper right, had okay, started. Good. It wasn't during good. the, the actual film. But, you saw um, my eyes. But yeah, like... <laughs> So, so let's get into it a little bit more. I mean, we know that so we've got Olivia Colman's Queen Anne on the throne. She seems to be in the worst possible health. And then you've got, like I said, these two competing influences who are not only politically interested, but seemingly erotically interested in her company for genuine or less genuine reasons. And you have to kind of figure that out for yourself. Um, and then at the side, we've got the leader of the opposition, played by Nicholas Holt. And Nicholas Holt, this guy who's like carving out a niche as, as a sort of surprisingly um adaptable and 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 just interesting performer i think at this point i mean the wigs alone in this thing are, are something that i'll remember They're for the amazing. rest of the year um in in terms of those central performances who stood out for you i mean olivia coleman seems an obvious one but we shouldn't skip her like over her just because it's I think, obvious i think it's surely. for me like for the three leading if you if you take into account the three leading ladies i think it's possibly a career best turn for all of them i mean I, yeah. they're, they're all actresses that i've always quite liked but everyone here is just on just on superb comedic form like i mean Emma Stone again has always been charming, but I've never seen a sort of play sort of darkly male as malevolent. Me what am I looking for? Malevolent. Malevolent. Yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. As <laughs> malevolent form as this, and Rachel Vice again, just like the and the looks like Rachel Vice is capable of shooting here, like the dagger she can shoot to like Emma Stone's character mm. at times, are just incredible. And I just I haven't seen a cast, and I just I can admit, and I think it, it speaks to what you were saying before, where everyone talks about like working with Yorgos Lanthimos. It's just an incredible experience. And you can just tell that everyone everyone involved in this is having like a ten out of ten time on set. Yeah, yeah. Like they've they're probably enjoying they're probably they're totally enjoying the roles. And I imagine Lanthimos has got probably just gone if you can just uh, uh, camp that up a little bit more, actually, no, that you see that you've shot her daggers there, that's great. Now look at her Mina. Now look at her Mina. Like and I just the, the way the way they play off against each other mm. and like the 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 banter and the repartoire that the repertoire that they have is is just absolutely yeah. superb. I just yeah I've, yeah so and again Nicholas Hull every everyone really involved I think is having a great time here. Yeah, I haven't enjoyed Rachel Weisz so much since the Mummy personally because I'm not a big Rachel Weisz fan generally. <laughs> I only recently saw those movies, the Mummy and the yeah. second one, because uh, Francesca got me to see them. They're, they're not bad, the Mummy yeah. movies actually. Yeah. I um. Yeah, and I just wanted to tag on what you said, Paul, that, um, you know, oftentimes I think when people say, like, everybody on set seems to be having a wonderful time, you then say, but the film itself is is turgid or, or, you know, unfunny or terrible because everybody was enjoying being there but maybe lost focus on the work. And it seems a great strength of the director and, and obviously crediting the performers that, you know, Julie here, but that... When it's time for business, when it's time to do real work, when it's time to give that particular performance, that that's that one take that's going to make the movie, everybody stepped up to the plate. It's not like they're just enjoying being there and getting zany with old Yorgos, you know. Uh, th th there's serious work here. And I suppose that's a nice segue because I think that the concerns of this movie, uh, as much as there is loads of like camp fun and people getting pushed in ditches and throwing oranges and stuff at naked fat men, uh, that all that stuff is there. There's a very serious set of concerns, I think, in this movie. Did you feel the same or did it strike you as as more comedic than maybe it did me? Because it made me laugh, but the f the ending of the film in particular, maybe, uh, is, is, is kind of deadly serious, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, I, ultimately, it's um, I, I found it an interesting experience in terms of watching um, a queen of England who isn't portrayed a lot in um, film and television. I thought that was a really immersive experience um, and a really important one. Um, and I, I, I felt that actually, although there were comedic moments, it was a really tragic love story. Um, and I thought it was it was beautifully done. And um, the fact also that all these characters are, ba- are based on real life people as well. And that kind of stuff happened very much so in in the monarchy is quite disturbing um and also it kind of highlights how things would like how um uh how grateful we should be for modern medicine and i don't know it was yeah lots of lots of stuff overwhelming you don't don't want to uh you don't want to recover from serious injury or, or disease by just uh, putting yeah. bits of meat well, yeah, on your that, legs. That, yeah, that was like quite grim. And, and, but also like the fact that um, Abigail knew about the, the herbs and then I was like, oh, that's really awesome. So people kind of like adapted to what they, you know, I, mm. yeah, so much. Oh, and, and ter- terrific, just uh, not that we need to go through a load of individual sequences, but that sequence where uh, the Emma Stone Abigail character inserts herself into this discussion by uh, when she um, coughs as the Queen's leaving the room. And then she said, oh, I'm sorry, I must have caught a cold yeah. getting the herbs from the <laughs> yeah. forest that were used yeah. in, in your healing. And then she was like, oh, yes, yeah, that's me. Yeah, I'm Abigail. Yeah. And just gets her name into the discussion so perfectly. It was wonderful. But yeah, like... Um, the the end of the movie so I had a discussion with my beloved wife about the end of this movie because she was kind of a bit uh, head scratchy and a bit like I I really enjoyed it and then I didn't really understand why it needed to finish in the way that it did whereas I disagree and thought that so you have um, it doesn't spoil anything plot wise but you have a, a final shot which um, has a, a person and another person and overset on that is a load of um, rabbits mm. that have played a role in the movie because they are the animals that the queen yeah. keeps to basically keep her company. I mean, I don't know if you guys are aware of the show Extreme Hoarders. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) I should be on it. (laughs) There's an episode that stands out to me where a man uh, lost his wife. His wife passed away and he had uh, rats, a couple of rats that were in his house that shouldn't have been there. But rather than getting them um, dealt with, he allowed them to breed and they bred and they bred and they bred and they bred until his house was full with rats and the mattress on which he slept was full of rats and a really dirty and dangerous situation but he said the reason why I keep these rats around is because it feels like life is surrounding me and the thing that I've lost is that life that surrounds me and it's like this kind of tragic like uh, the amount of pathos that you can get out of an episode mm. of Extreme Hoarders is incredible <laughs> but like it kind of made me think of that when I saw this queen surrounding herself with caged animals that were then allowed to run around her just to give her the sense that she was you know around not only life but the creation of life because rabbits of course fuck each other a lot don't they and yeah having mentioned that she lost 17 children you see at the end that sequence or that image set against um what what is essentially um subjugating someone right 
And to me, again, maybe I'm doing the thing that I do where I go, everything's about depression and loss at the moment, saying that everything is about uh, the Donald Trump presidency. But to me, it seemed like a very, very deliberate stab at um, not only the Donald Trump presidency, but the nature of power and the way that like you can get from wherever you come from and you can work the American dream or whatever the dream of your particular nation is to work your way up to the top. But you're always going to have the cold hand of inherited power on your head, forcing you down. And it's one of my favourite shots at the end of a movie that I've seen in a very long time. Yeah, I think I I totally agree with you. And I think that is deliberate. I don't think that's I don't think that's a coincidence. And I think that's just Lanthimos being a very clever Mm. filmmaker. So he, he throws all these things in, he kind of disarms you with his kind of like fisheye lenses some of those visuals as well so you yeah. get like the, the mm. sort of again the the absurd fisheye angles that you're not quite sure what to make of and then you're like no this this kind of suits the suits the ridiculous nature of the world that we're living in and then suddenly he throws in a scene like that where you go oh okay that caught me off guard and then he, and he, he brings back he brings back a sort of a brain to proceedings yeah. um without a doubt i think that's one of his strengths is to see suddenly just stops suddenly just stops what's going on and suddenly make you sort of re-engage you and you're like ah okay this film is about more than this. Yeah. It's not just a silly comedy with some great performances. It is actually about more than that. So yeah, I completely agree. And, and, and it would be a sort of aesthetic wet dream if you watch this alongside Roma yeah. as a double bill. I think <laughs> yes. in terms of seeing directors sort of just just pivot cameras and stuff, it reminded me the way he made this one particularly of um, that director Paolo Sorrentino who made like um, Il mm. Bivo in particular, where like it's a, another film that deals with powerful people in in corridors. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think it sounds like we yeah. all enjoyed it. Had it had kind of essence, um, um, an of Barry Lyndon with particularly with the use of natural light in the. Dark darker scenes of the film it was very Barry Lyndon-esque I thought I, I didn't thought that until yeah absolutely because I watched Barry Lyndon fairly recently and yeah it did yeah, yeah there is definitely some but yeah absolutely in the visual style it does look yeah. quite a bit like Barry Lyndon like particularly yeah. those shots where um Abigail and the um Nicholas Holtz character are walking along with the the, the flames along the verged um hedges I thought that was really beautiful and actually yeah natural, I hadn't like... thought of the Barry Lyndon comparison because that's kind of a trip comedy that's kind of the closest thing in tone I would say that I've yeah. seen to the favourite would be would be Barry Lyndon. It's kind of like historical drama, stroke comedy. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting comparison that I hadn't thought of. But yeah, I'd say that's fair. And and uh, I suppose having said, let's not skip over her because it's so obvious. Um, let's not skip over her because it's so obvious. Olivia Coleman is fucking great in this movie. I mean, the, oh, just just incredible. <laughs> the, the 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 way that she embodies this person who is both in the the highest seat of power, but is also like sort of impetuous and immature to the level of like a six-year-old is is fantastic. The way that like she, she'll just protest things by like sitting on the floor <laughs> or lying down and refusing to move and like sulking for a while. Um, yeah, I. I, I yeah I think it's like you said I think um, a little while back Paul in, in this review it might be the best career best performances of all three leading yeah. ladies and I think to say that of Olivia Coleman who's done the kind of work that she's done in particular is is like high praise well Tyrann- look, look at Tyrannosaur like that is Tyrannosaur Olivia Coleman in Tyrannosaur is just astounding and so and Olivia Coleman in Flowers yeah. as well. I know it's not a movie, no, but like, yeah. yeah, so many sort of strong contenders and, and Broadchurch and on and on and on. But yeah, amazing. Where does this then land, I suppose, to finish out? Where does this land in terms of Yorgos Lanthimos movies in general? Like, do you think that his, his best work, your favourite or? I think it might. I think I've only seen this once and it was a while ago. And I think I said this on my letterbox review. I think this might prove to be his best film yet. If I watch it again, I think it might be my favorite Lanthimos film. And I, it's not to not to take anything away from the others. Cause I love them. I, I like them. Well, I love most of pretty much most of them. The ones I don't love, I definitely like, I think Alps might be his weakest in my opinion. Um, 
but yeah, I think this may well be his best film yet. I just think it's it's. I think I love the fact he's he's kind of got a budget to do the period setting. So, um, it's it's almost like he's like, what do you want to do? And now he's finally gone. I want to do this. I want it to be lavish, mm. and I want to have money to spend. And he's finally got money to spend, and he's made this. So give him all the money in the world, um, yeah. and let him keep making films. Yeah. Let him do it and keep running those weird marketing campaigns which lures people in thinking it's going to be a super comedy romp. Yeah. <laughs> well, where do you ever... stand, Pete? Do you think, where, where do you stand on this? Um, I think it's just like a lot of things, it's going to be sort of dependent on a person and subjective. I, I think that, again, it's not in any way denigrating the favourite. I don't think it is my favourite of his movies, but it's certainly top three of, of the films that I've seen that, that he's made. And and yeah, there's just a lot to recommend it. And it's the kind of thing that it requires a little bit of, um, like, not work so much as just... Um, patience and and trust on the part of the viewer and and I suppose that's one of those things that comes up here and there in our discussions is that like some things aren't just going to be um, immediately readable or immediately understood even by by you know all uh, audience members and I think that Lanthimos is the kind of director that like maybe if you hadn't seen any of his stuff going in you can't really even um negatively judge someone who came out yeah, of this scratching so, yeah. their head a little yeah, bit you know because I think you need to sort of get the temperature of the water before you sort of swim into oh, yeah, to later sure. later stuff yeah, great film yeah uh, absolutely uh, thumbs up though definitely um, really enjoyed it um, so uh, talking of thumbs up and things to enjoy we have another section of the show and that section of the show will come up right after the break in which we're going to list our top five most anticipated movies of this glorious year that is 2019 that we're just getting started with right after this So yes, 2019, uh, a lot of films ahead of us. We're going to count down our top five most anticipated. And I say that most anticipated, that's most anticipated at the moment. There is a lot of films I'm excited about this year, and I'll be honest, and I imagine you guys are much the same. Um, this is just five that jumped out at me. Number one is definitely the one I'm most favourite about. But yeah, this this could change as the year goes on. But yes, this is a five that, that excite me the most at this precise moment in time. It may change. It's not to say I'm not excited about other films. I am, and we might list some sort of other runners as, as we go along. But um, Grace, do you want to start us off with your number five most yeah, anticipated film of sure 2019? Thing. So um, I'm really excited because Taika Waititi is back. Yes. Um, and he's back with Jojo um, Rabbit. Um, I don't know when it's actually going to be released. Um, it started production 2018, so it just says 2019 to be confirmed. Um, but uh, it has Scarlett Johansson and Sam Rockwell. And it's about a... Uh, Nazi soldier who comes home to find his mother has been hiding um, a, a Jew in the basement. And by Taika Waititi. By Taika Waititi. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so um, I'm not really sure how that's going to play out, but I'm just excited because I know it's going to be that kind of awkward uh, comedy with a lot of heart. Um, and a lot of moral lessons to be learned. And um, I love Taika... Uh, Hunt for the Wilder People is... And um, What We Do in the Shadows are two of my favourite films of all time. Um, so I'm really excited and I'm really glad he's going back to... Although it's kind of a, a bigger budget and a bigger cast, he's kind of going back to that more sort of um, confined storytelling that he's so good at doing, where it's just more focusing on uh, characters and their sort of uh, quite simple thread, I guess, but with a real kind of dark and horrible 
subtext. <laughs> so yeah, that's my number five. Yeah, th- this is one that I actually I had on my list and then we just didn't want to step on each other's toes and talk about it. But like anything Taika Waititi at this point, I mean, you'd be a fool not to jump on it immediately as soon as you possibly can. Um, Paul, do you want to go next or do you want me to go next? What would you I'll think? dive in, yeah. I'm, yeah. Happy, I'm happy to dive in. At number five, uh, I've got a film that I wasn't really aware of until I started doing this list, but now I am and I'm very excited. Uh, this is the next project from Jim Jarmusch and a court thanks to The Guardian for these words. It's another foray into the world of the undead. Um, so following on from what was that film we did about the vampires that I've completely forgotten about now Only Lovers Left Alive uh, thank you because I just had a mental block there so yeah Only Lovers Left Alive I thought was really really good I I liked it a lot Uh, this is Jim Jarmusch this stars Adam Driver Bill Murray and Tilda Swinton I imagine among others because I'd be working with Jim Jarmusch and yeah and anything Jim Jarmusch does I'm I'm always intrigued to watch Patterson was great um, which we've, we've talked about although Grace is looking grumpily at me. No, I'm not. I'm looking um, grumpily in the distance. <laughs> um, yeah, so anything from Jim Jarmusch is always one to watch from me. And I, yeah, Only Lovers Left Alive, I really, really, really liked. So, and if he's going, if he's looking at the vampires, or well, maybe it isn't vampires. I'm assuming vampires based on the undead. It might not be. But yeah, Jim Jarmusch returning to the undead is exciting for me. And that I'm not sure. Again, no months on this. Just due 2019 at some point. Whether we see it or not is another matter. Uh, that's my number five, uh, Pete. So, uh, yeah, the order's whatever, I think, on this list, but there's about 25 that I'm looking forward to. But number five for this list is uh, Triple Frontier. This is the next movie from J.C. Chandor. J.C. Chandor, of course, is the director of things like uh, A Most Violent Year and uh, All Is Lost and uh, uh, Margin Call. And it's just this guy who's kind of maintained a bar of quality in his work that is um, both... uh, admirable to me and and slightly incredible um particularly in terms of like the dialogue that is um in his stuff i i really enjoy him and a lot of the kind of imagery that he uses um both visually and sort of script wise i enjoy but triple frontier is uh, about five former special forces operatives who reunite to plan a heist in a sparsely populated multi-border zone of south america uh and yeah, in this one, we have uh, Ben Affleck, which is, I mean, not necessarily a thing that makes me um, like hugely excited <laughs> about a particular movie, but also Charlie Hunnam, who I like. Uh, Pedro Pascal's in this. Oscar Isaac, of course, is in this. He works with Jesse oh, Chandler. this trailer. This is a Netflix thing, isn't it? A lot. It? Uh, I think it might be over here. I think it might be yeah. theatrical in America, perhaps. But, ah, okay. But yeah, um, anyway, like... JC Chandler, as I say, the bar is set high enough that I think that if it meets that standard, then it will be um, more than worth your time. And and yeah, as you've just said, Paul, available on Netflix. It says here 15th of March. I don't know if that's going to be worldwide. Hopefully so. But um, yeah, I look forward to it a lot. That's my number five. My number four is uh, Wacken Phoenix as the Joker because it's going to be amazing. It's set in New York. It's set in the 80s. It's going to be dark. It's going to be gritty. Um, I know, I, I think it's it's going to be um, a, a, a nice uh, balance between Heath Ledger's and Jack Nicholson's, but without the horribleness of, um, uh, what's his name? I've forgotten his blooming name. Jared Leto. That's it. Yeah, he's so naff. I forget his name. Jared Leto's awful performance as the Joker, in my opinion. Um, uh, I just actually, I forgot to mention on our what we've watched. I just watched You Were Never Really Here, and that reignited my excitement for the fact that Joaquin Phoenix is going to be taking this new um, kind of uh, 
lesser known um, origin story of the Joker as a stand-up comedian, clown type figure of New York. Um, and yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited about it. The little clips I've seen so far that have been teased throughout the internet definitely look awesome. So that's my number four. Yeah, I think Joaquin Phoenix looks great. I'm still dubious that it's directed by Todd Phillips, but I will definitely check it out. But then it's produced by Scorsese, I think, isn't it? And King yeah. of Comedy's been cited as a, a major influence there on this one. Go. So yeah, yeah, it should be interesting. Uh, my number four, and it's a trailer that made me just go, fuck yes, when I watched the trailer on Christmas Day. Um, this is the new film from Jordan Peele, uh, Us. Has anyone seen this trailer? No, I've read about the film. Right, so the trailer uses the song Five on It by Loonies, mm. um, which is a, like, a song from a while ago. It's a great, it's an absolutely banging tune. Yeah. But what Jordan Peele, or whoever's put this trailer, has managed to do is remix this song to make it absolutely fucking terrifying. So do not pass go, do not collect £200. Go and watch the trailer for us and tell me that reworking of that song is not incredible. Mm-hmm. It's a new horror film from Jordan Peele. I don't think I need to say any more than that. It's my number four. Uh, Pete? Number four for me is uh, from a director that I enjoy talking about on the podcast. It is uh, Alex Ross Perry's next movie. Um, Alex Ross Perry, who made films like Listen Up, Philip. Uh, Queen of Earth. Queen of Earth in particular, he was directing Elizabeth Moss. Elizabeth Moss is at front and centre here for Her Smell, released um, hopefully again globally. I've got an American date, 29th of March. So I think around the end of March, beginning of April, uh, we'll see a release for this one. Um, Well, yeah, I don't need more personally than Alex Ross Perry is writing and directing and Elizabeth Moss is the star. That's got me. Uh, You've also got here, though, a a show favourite, Dan Stevens, as well as uh, Cara Delevingne, who was recently and stuff like Valerian and is forging quite the career for herself. Um, This one is about Moss's character as a punk rocker who's like self-destructive and struggling to remain sober um, and trying to recapture sort of some creative inspiration. But if you're unaware of the film director, I would just recommend, yeah, checking out anything back to like The Colour Wheel and forward to uh, Queen of Earth because uh, Alex Ross Perry is is both quite a good, um, actually, screen presence. Um, he's been in one or two things the other side of the camera and, and I find him quite entertaining. But um, as a director, I just think that he is a, like a very distinct voice right now. And um, it won't be for everybody, but I am excited about this one, which is also listed as a drama slash music. So hopefully I'll get to see Elizabeth Moss doing punk rock on stage. That'll be that'll be quite <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, so that's my number four, Her Smell, coming out this year. Uh, my number three is one that I was surprised that I wrote down, but um, I've got It Chapter 2, which I think is coming out in um, September. Uh, I... Uh, love the original mini series of it with Tim Curry as Pennywise the Clown. Um, it's I think it's like one in my top ten, um, at least top fifteen movies of all time. When as a kind of whole selection, um, and I wasn't as gripped by it chapter one when it came out in two thousand and I want to say seventeen was it? Um, I think it's seventeen. Yeah, um, I I I I didn't have as much affection as I did with the. Um, as the original however the flaw of the original is the um the second half where the adults go back to Derry. it's a bit rubbish so i I don't i don't hate it as much as a lot of people do because i still think tim curry as pennywise still kind of holds that together however it chapter two i think it's got a real um good comedic established cast on board where i think it can kind of uh make a really good 
movie and do the Stephen King's book justice in that respect. And I'm really excited if they, if especially they can ramp it up to another level. I think it's going to be. I think Will Powder would have been a better Pennywise. I, I think he was originally going to be cast, and then he they changed just... it to Bill Skarsgård instead. But you know, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm excited to to see that uh, conclusion. That's my number three. Good. Uh, my number three is well, actually, it is a part three. It is How to Train Your Dragon: The Hidden World, uh, directed again by Dean Dubois. I just love these films. I love How to Train Dragon One. I'll be honest, I didn't see it at the cinema. I got a bit, I was a bit up myself. I was like, I'm not going to see a kids' animation. That can't be any mm. good. And then I remember sort of sitting down watching it on Blu-ray with the wife, and we kind of looked at each other and went, Oh my god, that was great. I love Toothless. And then I went to see How to Train Dragon 2 and I was just like, I still really love Toothless and like it's really well written and it's the closest anyone else has ever come to sort of being Pixar. Um, full stop, really. It's the best, it's certainly the best um, franchise that DreamWorks have got animated-wise by quite some margin. And yes, the the final, the third and final, well, we'll see if it's final or not, depending on how this watch makes, how, mu- how much this one makes. Uh, the third and supposedly final film, The Hidden World, How to Train Dragon, The Hidden World, is out in under a month, so the 1st of February, and I'm very excited to see Toothless find love. So yes, it's um, yeah, it melts my heart, to train a dragon, and I'm not ashamed to admit it, so very excited. Uh, Pete? One of the contributors to this show might have recommended the first How to Train Your Dragon movie when you were being a bit sniffy about it, Paul, but I can't remember who it was. Um, so No, I couldn't, yeah. Ne- <laughs> next, uh, next for me at number three is uh, Bergman Island. This one is the latest from... Mia Hansen Love. Um, it stars Mia Vasenkovska, who a couple of years ago was in absolutely everything and I think has sort of taken her foot off the pedal a little bit um, and, and just picks great projects, as far as I can tell. And then alongside her is uh, Vicky Creeps from uh, what people would know from Phantom Thread, which was um, both an incredible film and incredible performance. This movie, as much as I've got sketchy details in front of me, uh, it revolves around an American filmmaking couple who retreat to uh, an island, Bergman Island, uh, for the summer to uh, write their own screenplays for upcoming films. And it's sort of like a, a writer's retreat, which, to be fair, sounds god-awful as the premise of a film. Um, but this is Mia Hansen-Love. She's a f- filmmaker that I like very much. And when both of the female leads in this thing are of the calibre that they are... I cannot wait. Um, And so in front of me, I have the release date. Oh, no, I don't. 2019. Sometime in 2019, probably pushed back. I would say towards the last quarter of 2019 for Bergman Island. That's my number three. Who's next? My number two is The Irishman, Scorsese, Pacino, De Niro, Pesci. Boom. What more do you want? Honestly, I'm so pumped. Um, I'm really excited to see Al Pacino in something which isn't like a naff film like Hangman. Oh, that was like, crap. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't get me wrong, I will watch anything that Al Pacino is in. Like, um, but yeah, I'm I am so excited about this movie. I know there's a, like a lot of people are banging on about the de-aging effects that are gonna be in it, but whatever. It's got like the creme de la creme of acting and direction and plot, and I'm just like I'm shaking with excitement just talking about it. I don't even know one. I don't want to know too much about it. Just that I know who's in it, what the kind of themes are going to be, and I'm just going to enjoy it when it happens. So that's my number two, the Irishman. Good. <laughs> Good. No, I'm very excited about the Irishman as well. To be fair, I'm so giddy. Really not, and we might get to see De Niro and Pacino do something good again. So, oh my god, be, yeah, um, what was that, that last nice. film they did where it was like oh, a really um, daft twist? Out to lunch or something. I don't know what was it called. They were like two um, cops, and they were like. Yeah. 
we've got to find the killer. Oh, the um, it was one of us, but we don't let you yeah, know. I can't even remember what that film was called now. <laughs> but anyway, my number two. Uh, is it my number two? It is my yeah, number two, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes, Ryan Johnson, you haven't quite you haven't quite ruined my love of Star Wars because I'm still very excited about Star Wars Episode Nine, which is out in December this year. Um, hopefully, J.J. Abrams can rescue something from the mess that um, Ryan Johnson has left the franchise in, mm. which is just uh, just in tatters as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I watched Last Jedi again recently. Oh, sorry. And it's yeah, it's just. <laughs> It's not this. I suppose objectively, it's not that bad a film, but it's not a great one. And it just—I don't know where they're going to go with the story. I don't understand what, where we've got to, how we've got to, where we've got to. Yeah. But I'm hopeful that J.J. Abrams can pull something together because The Force Awakens. Eh, the more you watch it, the probably the worse it gets. But it's still not a bad film by a long mm. stretch. Um, and it's still an enjoyable, fun Star Wars film. So hopefully, J.J. Abrams pull something back together. Uh, we will find out in December uh, where Star Wars Episode Nine, as yet untitled, drops. Uh, Pete. Uh, number two for me is Double Vie or Double Lives from uh, Olivier Assayas, who's this director that has come up on the show a few times um, because of, I've talked about something in the air, um, but possibly not Carlos the Jackal, but writer director Olivier Assayas, I should say. Um, but then particularly prominent around the time that we were starting our show, perhaps. Uh, Clouds of Sils Maria, and then more recently, Personal Shopper, both of which are beloved over here on this thing. Um, and this one stars Juliette Binoche, because of course it does, uh, alongside Guillaume Canet uh, and others. Set in the Parisian publishing world, an editor and an author find themselves in over their heads as they cope with a middle-aged crisis, the changing industry, and their wives. Um, Olivia Assayas, like I say, is both a writer and director, which is significant because I think that, again, this popped up on my actual top five list because this is a person who has a very specific, um, maybe niche is the wrong word, but like as soon as I know that it's an Olivia Assayas film, I have a certain set of expectations where maybe some other movies that might have cropped up on my long list seem a bit more like it, my my excitement is a bit more generalised. Uh, something like Personal Shopper came out two years ago and sits like somewhere in my brain resonating right now. Um, the same could be said of Klaus of Sils Maria as well. So I'm just really looking forward to this because it's going to be like proper, uh, like grown up, um, well written dramatic work from I think one of the best doing it today so uh, yeah number two for me is Double Lives and the, it seems like the worldwide rollout of releases is anywhere between mid-January and May so we'll see when we get it in the UK. Uh, uh, what's your number one exciting times? My number one is Avengers Endgame yes oh my goodness um so it is the conclusion to the um current mcu uh will the team will the avengers defeat thanos by traveling back in time will paul rudd be hilarious will the effects step up even more will the end of the film see the uh fox being bought by disney merger and the fantastic four and the x-men being at the end and that all being a new amazing exciting thing i don't know i'm I, it makes me giddy thinking about it i'm really pumped for it um i, I wasn't even aware this was coming out so. what end game no, i'm joking oh my god <laughs> don't even i will i will lurch <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, it's, um, you know, it, it is a really important um, 
uh, a cinematic event for me and I'm sure a lot of other people. Um, and we've got Captain Marvel, who's going to be in this one, Brie Larson, who I, I'm excited about seeing um, Captain Marvel, but I'm sure we'll mention that again. Um, but yeah, I think um, it's a really important um, event in cinema. So I, that's why it's my number one. Good. Oh, I'm excited about that as well. To be yeah. fair. I really enjoyed um, Infinity War. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be it's going to be a whole lot of film. There's no doubt about oh, that. It's yes. going to be it's going to be the scale is going to be off the chart. I would imagine. Off the so, chain. Yeah, no, I'm quite excited. <laughs> talking of off the chain though, and talking of scale, oh my god, eight year old Paul is so incredibly excited about Godzilla Two: King of Monsters. The trailer just had my inner child jumping up and down and doing forward rolls with excitement. Like, you've got Godzilla's here, Rodan's here, Mothra's here, King Ghidorah's here. Like, all the monsters are here. And it, it, all the monsters are here. They're beating the shit out of each other. I can't wait. And, like, the effects work just looks incredible. And the way they've made this film look, it's it's always very easy, I think. And we've, talk, we've definitely talked about this on the show before, to kind of discount some of these big-budget summer movies and, and sort of write them off. If you look at the Transformers films, for example... Um, with the exception of Bumblebee, they are generally shit, but the effects work, you've got to give credit to the effects people. And oh my God, if you look at the trailer for Godzilla 2, like the way this film looks, it just looks incredible. It looks absolutely epic. Um, you've got a decent cast attached to it as well, but it's all about the monsters for me. And yes, eight-year-old Paul, his most anticipated film of the year, it's Godzilla 2, King of Monsters, as is 36-year-old Paul's film, uh, also most anticipated film, is also Godzilla 2. I'm not ashamed of it. Uh, Pete, what's your number one? Number one for me is uh, High Life. This is um, the follow-up to Let the Sun Shine In, although it has, has nothing in common with that film other than the director and writer, co-writer Claire Denis. Uh, Let the Sun Shine In with Juliette Binoche was one of my top ten films of the year. Go back to that episode. Check it out. Yeah, it's really good. Um, and in <laughs> this one, um, like, okay, Claire Denis, a film director that I really, really like, all the way back to like when I picked up uh, Trouble Every Day on uh, like great, yeah. VHS probably in like the year 2001 or something like that uh, and saw Vincent Gallo and a, like a load of blood and like psychosexuality and things that sort of changed and reordered my brain a little bit um, and all the way forward to yeah like I say her most recent film but then also you add into this concoction Deep Space uh, the chiselled face of Robert Pattinson and like I'm, I'm good oh and uh, connecting with my previous pick on, on this list Double Lives also Juliette Binoche so um, some of my favourite performers one of my favourite directors and possibly my favourite subject of stuff uh, being deep space. This is a father and his daughter struggle to survive in deep space where they live in isolation. Uh, maybe that's not a thing that makes everybody else get super excited, but for me, yeah, sign me up. No, I mean, I think that I think the film looks fantastic, and I just it needed. It, I mean, it should have come out last year, really. They're, they're dragging the hills with releasing this, I think. But yeah, I'm, the sooner the better. Yeah, but but so, I mean, I'm, I'm bring, not going to disqualify it from my anticipated. Oh no, list I'm not because no, it didn't not come at out all. last year though. Not what I was saying in the slightest. Not what I was saying in the slightest. But yeah, just stop dragging your heels with this thing because it looks it looks superb. So no, I'm with you. Pete. Yeah, I think it and it, I mean it's it's had a bunch of releases, right? It's just that it hasn't released here. Like it's been out across Europe and stuff like that. So we're just you're just clinging on to the coattails of, of like getting this thing eventually. But yeah, I, I'm just I'm so in on this. And I mean whether it I could shift around my top five, I could shift around my top twenty probably. But I just think like all things considered, this was the one that stood out to me as something I wanted to see immediately. Um, guys, we said that we just pop off a few like also rans, things that didn't quite make your list or things that you're just generally excited for and haven't talked about yet. What do you have that fill, fulfills that brief? 
Captain Marvel, I guess. I'm excited about that. I mean, it's, just, it's coming out just before Avengers Endgame, but I know a lot of people are excited about having a, a female-led superhero movie from Marvel, so it's going to be... It's going to be awesome. Um, I'm really excited about Adrian Coulson, Clark Gregg being in it. De-aged again. This de-aging thing's got to kind of... I don't know. I don't know how I feel about de-aging in films, but, you know, I guess it's the future. So about like that um, Robin Wright film uh, that got released a few years ago where half of it's in real life and half of it's in animation. What's it bloody called? Have you seen it? Oh, well, never no. mind. Oh, well. It should I'll bring ring it up a bell, but it doesn't but, at yeah. the moment. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Captain Marvel, um, I'm really excited about. I'm kind of excited about Quentin Tarantino. Um, uh, what's it called? Oh, uh, Once Upon a Time in I've, uh, Once Hollywood. Upon a Time in, in Hollywood. Hollywood you that, ex- that excited about it, you've forgotten the title. Yeah, because I was like, Once Upon a Time in New York, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, is, it, Once Upon a Time. It, isn't it like, <laughs> whatever you think about Tarantino, isn't it like a very blah kind of title, that? Yes, Once it is, and I don't really... Uh, guys, we've we've forgotten a film. I've what? forgotten a film, and I'm going to put it on my new number one. It's going to be number one plus. It's going to be like a one plus plus deal. What's that? John Wick fucking three is out this year. Oh. Yes, John Wick three Parabellum, I think it's called. I've no idea what that means. I don't really care. There's going to be loads of headshots. John Wick three is going to be <laughs> incredible. There's no doubt. I mean, there's a there's a, a chase where he's on a horseback being chased oh, by a, a motorbike. Sake. So yeah, John Wick three. <laughs> Uh, write everything else off this year. I'm, if I see only one film this year, it's John Wick three. That's it. I'm done. No more part. Nothing. I want not, not three two more happy. than John Wick three. Yeah. So um, yeah. Sorry, I got excited about John Wick three because I've forgotten all about it for some unknown reason. Um, other uh, things that haven't been mentioned: uh, Bong Joon Ho's new movie Parasite should, fingers crossed, see the light of day this year uh, to people, which would be lovely. But I'm not gonna like. I don't want to get too hype because then we'll get it in two years or something like that. Uh, then uh, the Safdie brothers uh, follow up to Good Time, which is called Uncut Gems, should be out this year. Uh, Pain and Glory, the new one from Pedro Almodovar. Noah Baumbach's new film, which has Scarlett Johansson, Adam Driver, Laura Dern, and Ray Liotta in it. So um, you know, get get yourself along to that. Uh, Benedetta, the Paul Verhoeven um, follow up to. The name of film that I've forgotten with Isabel Huppert that we liked, Paul. Thank uh, you. Uh, uh, Kelly Reichard's One First Cow, although I'm not sure that we'll get it in 2019. Uh, Terence Malick's new movie, Radigund, is... Toy Story 4. Toy Story 4, year. yeah. Um, the Sisters Brothers, Jack Odiar's new one, is certainly coming out. Yes. I've just finished the book. Soon. And it's great. So I've got high expectations. For um, what else? Uh, Freak Shift, Ben Wheatley's latest, is at least at festivals this year, whether it will be in cinemas is questionable um where are, uh, uh, oh charlie kaufman's new one i'm thinking of ending things um with brie larson is uh purported to be out this year is that the title i'm thinking of ending things with brie larson <laughs> it should be yes maybe my notes need to be reordered uh, ari aster's uh midsomner or midsummer midsummer Okay. Is that really this year? I think it will be festivals this year and, and maybe not cinemas this year. Um, Ad Astra, I think, is out this year, which is Dr- James Gray, who did uh, the 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 Z. What's that called? You know, go, yeah, the Lost, Lost City of Z, Z, which I actually liked, I think, more than like most people. I think you, you thought it was all right. As well, I liked it. No, I liked it. My wife said it was the, the most the shittest film she'd ever seen, I think. Uh, but, I, I, um, I, I, 
Yeah, I really, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Oh, and yeah. Um, yeah. Ben Zeitlin, who made uh, Beast of No Nation, is uh, got a, not Beast of No Nation, I don't mean that, Beast of the Southern Wild, excuse me. Uh, yeah. His new one, oh. Wendy, should be some somewhere. Because Beast of the Southern Wild was great. This year, really yeah. Really yeah. I wonder whether that's going to be a Netflix deal as well. I, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, uh, lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of reasons to be excited. And to be honest, Paul and uh, Grace, there are so many great films coming out this year. I've had this idea, right? What we should do is we should meet up like about once a week and we should find some way of structuring conversations around all of these films and then putting that out and making it available to other people what do you think uh no i'm out fair enough uh, grace <laughs> uh, i don't know it's got a lot of talking yeah it is a lot of talking so now, now that we're suitably fired up you know let's have have 2019 you know give us what you've got uh, yeah, but I mean, I think we can all agree that there are, like for every taste as well, what I like about this, these lists is that it seems like we've covered all different kinds of movies. And that's the great thing about, you know, without gushing too much, about doing the show and, and following film in the way that we do is that like, I don't think any of us are sort of closed off to any particular types of movies so it's great to see and hear I suppose given that it's an audio show different perspectives as the year plays out on things that maybe are going to resonate more or less with different members of the team and also with you know the people out there and, and the people who listen to this yeah and no, I completely agree and I think it's yeah it's nice to see because I think it frustrates me sometimes you see like comment sections especially on like the Guardian or that kind of thing where people are going also pro films are shit and I only watch art house I'm just going to get over yourself whatever <laughs> you're wrong so uh, uh, yeah, no, I think a broad a broad church is definitely important. Um, and John Wick three's out. This yeah, year. and I mean, and I mean, <laughs> just on the other side of that same conversation, there are also the big camp of people who just look at anything that has you know a, a, a sequence that isn't cut after about 30 to 40 seconds and throw the word pretentious all over the room immediately and yeah. shut their ears and eyes to what's happening. So yeah, yeah you know, like we're, yeah, we're basically thought, aiming yeah. to, you know, not be either of those two groups and to be across anything that's of interest to any sort of kind of film fan, I think over the next 12 months. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, yeah, also, if you have listened, and you've, we've missed any films off our most anticipated list, feel free to tell us if you think we're going to like so if you think, oh, guy, seriously, how have you missed that? You, you should be looking forward to this. Yeah, tell us. I'm always happy for new recommendations. I'm always happy to be told what films to watch, and then I find it and love it. So that's always a good one. Um, so yeah, but in the meantime, we'll be back next week. May I, I do a quick plug on something before we of end course. very quick? You may. Thank you so much. So um, me, myself and uh, my collaborator, Lee Christian, we were really inspired by Netflix's Bandersnatch to create an online interactive game on Bandcamp um, where you follow uh, a new DJ called Bobby Brown and he has to get the party started as a DJ. Um, that's going to be released this week. We've been working really hard on it. So if you go to Lee Christian's uh, band, leechristian.bandcamp.com, you can play the Bobby's Band Camper Snatch Band Camper Snatch, I like it. <laughs> I probably said it wrong. <laughs> it's a working title. But yeah, that's a little thing, project I've been doing personally, inspired by Netflix's Band Snatch. Nice. Yes. Good, Thanks. very exciting, very exciting. <laughs> I've got some scripts to look at because I might be producing yeah. a short film Oof. this year as well, so that's also very exciting, but we'll talk more about that when I know more about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, and then plug away yes. when you get the, the opportunity. Yeah. What have you got to plug? Uh, I've got to plug um, the fact that uh, I tidied my wardrobe the other day and now it looks really nice <laughs> because, uh, and yeah. this, this tenuously connects to Bandersnatch, because on the, on the same <laughs> platform, Netflix, there is that show with uh, the, the woman's called Marion, 
Marie Kondo. She's a tiny, tiny Japanese lady. And she tells you how to tidy up your house and make your life better. And so uh, took that on board, tidied my wardrobe. And now I feel like a whole new person. So uh, yeah, that's my <laughs> plug for the week. But apart from that, no, uh, just just talking about films at the moment, really. <laughs> Good. Well, that's it then. We'll be we're pretty much done with this week. So we'll be back next week. Um, any ideas what we're going to be reviewing next week? What is out? What is out this coming week? Um, Colette's out. We could do that. Let's we'll work it. We'll work on it, and we'll let you know, listeners. We'll work on it, and we'll let you know. But we will be back at similar time next week with another episode of Strange in the Cinema. In the meantime, find us on Strange in Cinema on Twitter at Strange in the Cinema on Instagram or all of your social media, Facebook, and all that malarkey. Uh, Goodbye. Shut up and sit down.